in the spring of 2012, a friend shared the gospel with me, and I finally sur surrendered my life to Jesus about 10 years ago, uh, around the same time. I had made a profession of faith as an eight-year-old, but for almost two decades, there was little to no fruit in my life to suggest that I actually possessed a genuine faith, despite the fact that I had graduated divinity school with honors, despite the fact that I had been employed as a youth pastor for almost five years at that point. My life changed on that Thursday afternoon by the shore of Lake Maxincucky, all because of one friend's faithfulness to obey God's calling and to share the gospel with me. Stuart was a model evangelist. And this morning, you and I are going to see another model evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. He got the nickname for it. Back at it again. Last week, Philip became the church's first missionary outside of Jerusalem in the first half of chapter 8 of Acts. That we studied together when he brought the gospel to Samaria. In case you missed our message last week, quick recap. Philip exemplified for us eight principles, eight A's of evangelism. The gospel arrived in Samaria because Philip arrived. He was obedient to go. Secondly, his gospel was attested, not just in word, but in power and deed and action. Philip didn't just go, he showed the gospel to the Samaritans as well. Thirdly, the gospel was accepted by the Samaritans. Philip called them to repent and believe. Then the gospel was authenticated by the apostles, just as the church today still confirms a person's testimony of faith. The gospel was assured Last week when Peter rebuked Simon the magician for trying to buy spiritual gifts. And finally, the gospel last week was advanced throughout all Samaria as Simon's conversion serves catalyst for evangelism all throughout the region. And this morning, <clears throat> we're going to add an additional eight A's of evangelism to the list. At six last week, I don't know if I'm just really uncreative or... Uh, just really talented that I can come up with this many uh, uh, alliterations for the, the letter A. But eight A's of evangelism we're going to add this morning from, for a model evangelist. So I invite you to stand with me once again uh, as you're able for the respect to the reading of the God's Word from the ESV. Words will be on the screen in front. We have Bibles we'd love to give you. Give you a Bible at the info bar after the service as well if you don't have one. <coughs> but hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. About, and the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. Pray now as we submit ourselves under its authority. Would you use your word as only you can, Holy Spirit, to convict us where we need to be convicted, challenge us, to encourage us, to embolden us, to equip us. We want to be better equipped this morning through your word for the work that you have called us to do, Jesus to be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Would you equip us? And would you energize us? Would you motivate us, inspire us, fill us with a passion and an urgency to see those around us who are lost, who are dead, come to life through the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We see eight marks of a model evangelist here in Philip's example. Number one, we need to be attuned to God's prompting through the Holy Spirit. Be attuned is to be aware of, to be in harmony with someone's desires, values, or needs. Philip is attuned here to God's desire specifically to send him south to Gaza. Now, there are three questions that that should bring up for us right off the bat, just from verse 26 alone. Why an angel of the Lord? Why Gaza? And why Philip? First, why did God send an angel to Philip? Just a few verses later in verse 29, God is going to prompt Philip through the Holy Spirit to join this chariot. And so why an angel in verse 26? Well, this is just my hypothesis, so take it for what it is. My theory, though, is that it probably took nothing less than an angel appearing to Philip to convince him to go, and I'll explain why in a second. Perhaps God had even tried prompting Philip through the Holy Spirit already, but Philip convinced himself he'd just eaten a bad burrito for lunch. Because, secondly, why in the world would God send him to Gaza? Verse 26 tells us about everything we need to know about Gaza. It's a desert place. R.C. Sproul explains in his commentary, the city of Gaza had been destroyed by Alexander the Great centuries prior. As a result, the road that originally went from Jerusalem to Gaza was by this time in almost complete disuse. Almost complete disuse. We know the, the story, right? We know it's not in total complete disuse, is it? There was one chariot traveling that road that day carrying one eunuch, but praise God that we serve a Savior who cares about the one. A a shepherd 
who leaves the 99 to seek out the one. Even a Gentile eunuch. That still leaves this third question, why Philip? It doesn't make sense geographically. Philip was busy preaching way up in Samaria, some 50 miles north. Jerusalem was far closer, lots of apostles there. Moreover, his ministry in Samaria was booming. Philip was putting Billy Graham to shame. He was packing out stadiums all over Samaria, people getting saved left and right. And at the height of it, God says, hey, Philip, I want you to leave and head down to Gaza to a deserted road. Now you can see, no wonder it took an angel to convince him to get on board. When the spirit tried to prompt Philip, he probably thought it was the spirit of Satan. Why would God take the most successful evangelist of his day and send him out to the middle of nowhere? Can you imagine if God came to Rick Warren this week, Easter week, and said, hey, Rick, I know things are going real well for y'all out at uh, Saddleback. 35,000 people a week in attendance. Church has doubled in the last two years with the pandemic. Praise God, praise me. Um, 33,000 people came to, came to faith, made a profession of faith in 2021 alone. But now I need, I've got a different assignment for you. I need you to go out to the desert, to Death Valley. There's one guy out there I want you to meet with. Now, we can try and make sense of God's plan here. From a human perspective, perhaps this eunuch uh, returned home to Ethiopia as the first missionary there, and God used him to start a revival too. Church tradition says maybe that happened. Uh, He was certainly a man of wealth and status and influence. According to verse 27, he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Interestingly, kings didn't govern in ancient Ethiopia. They were revered as deities. They were incarnations of the gods, and so human affairs were beneath them. Queens governed instead. So this man would have been basically second in command in governance. We never even hear his name, by the way, but he had apparently been so successful, he'd been promoted all the way up from overseeing the uh, king's harem of concubines. That was a eunuch's job for obvious reasons. All the way up to secretary of the treasury. He's basically the CFO of all of Ethiopia, one of the major world powers of the time. He had to be a powerful, influential guy. He was wealthy enough to own his own copy of the Isaiah scroll. No one owned their own Bibles back then. This guy must have been loaded. Is that why God chose him? Singled him out because he was so important, influential? Or was it because he was so lost? He's got money and status, influence and power, and yet here he is, a thousand miles from home, on a journey that would have taken a month one way to make a religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem because he's desperately searching for more out of life for meaning that transcends this life and yet he arrives in Jerusalem only to discover he can't even step foot in the temple complex not even in the outer court of the Gentiles because he's a eunuch Deuteronomy 23.1 says no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord And so here he is, in the words of Bono, he still hasn't found what he's looking for. So he's desperately searching the Isaiah scroll he just bought for answers, and he doesn't even understand a word of it. Went up, jogs Philip. Friends, that's why God sent Philip, for this one man, because God has a heart for the one, for the lost. I asked Stuart, a few years ago, I said, why did you visit me in Culver that spring? We weren't all that close. You were a busy uh, pastoring 
your own church halfway across the country, you f- flew halfway across the country, away from your wife and kids for, for half a week. He said, I felt God's spirit calling me to go, so I obeyed. And friends, I'm walking with the Lord today because he obeyed. In no small part. I mean, it's God's spirit does the saving. God has to do the saving. But you can't believe if you haven't heard. You're not going to hear unless somebody's preaching. I needed him to preach to me that day. The Ethiopian eunuch needed Philip to preach to him, to explain to him God's word that day. Even when what God was calling Stuart to do must have seemed illogical. There were lots of Christians geographically much closer to me in northern Indiana. Must have seemed illogical, impractical, trifling. One, one guy. Just as it must have for Philip to go to Gaza. How about you? Do you fancy yourself an eminently reasonable person who simply makes the best, most rational decisions given all the information available to you? Have you effectively eliminated any need for listening to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in your life who sometimes has a way of calling us to unreasonable things in the name of faith? Or are we acutely attuned to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our gospel witness to the lost? Number two, we need to boldly approach others. Philip obeys the angel in verse 26, and then he obeys the spirit in verse 29 as well, who compels him to go over and join this chariot. Now, did Philip hear an audible voice? Did he just hear an internal, still small voice of the Spirit? We don't know. We don't know. Text isn't clear. But in any case, he obeys. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Now, ancient chariots traveled on average about 25 miles an hour. Usain Bolt, the fastest human uh, who's ever been recorded, at least, to run the planet, clocked 27 miles per hour for just 100 meters. So there may have been some supernatural help here. wind in Philip's sails um, in order for him to be able to chase this chariot down, but not only does he do so, he has the audacity to butt in on this man's private reading time. Now remember, this is an important person, the eunuch. and You didn't just impose on important people in antiquity. Remember the story of Queen Esther when she was afraid of being killed just for approaching King Ahasuerus' throne without being invited? Not only is Philip imposing here, he's sprinting at near superhuman speeds to do it, to impose, to butt in. I wonder, is that that a picture to you and me this morning? When God calls us to witness to someone, do we look more like Philip running as fast as we can with a gospel passion and urgency to share the good news of Jesus with them? Or do we look more like Jonah running as fast as we can in the opposite direction? Are we running toward people, church, or are we running away from them? I thank God that Stuart ran to me that day, that he boldly approached me with the gospel. It was bold of him. I told you, I had been a youth pastor for five years at that point. I had heard the gospel hundreds, maybe thousands of times in my life. I might have taken offense at the, the thought that he, he thought that I needed him to share the gospel with me. 
one more time, but for whatever reason, by God's providence, that day was the day that I finally heard the gospel with spiritual ears. As the Apostle Paul says, how will they hear unless someone's preaching? Stuart preached. He boldly told me the gospel. How about you? Whose chariot is God calling you to chase down this morning? Who in your life needs to hear about Jesus, needs you to have a gospel urgency about them hearing about Jesus? Maybe they've heard it a hundred times, maybe they've heard it a thousand times, but maybe like me, it's the one thousand and one time that will be the time that they hear, finally, with spiritual ears. Will we keep boldly approaching them? And can I just add, we ought to especially approach those who are often otherwise excluded That's how the eunuch must have felt riding home in his chariot that day, having been denied entrance at the temple. All his money and all his status and influence couldn't buy him a ticket into the temple. He felt like an outcast. Thank God that's exactly who Jesus came for. The outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes and tax collectors. If you're a list guest the people that you wrote down on your prayer card for me to pray with you, to invite to Easter, that they would respond, if they all politely say no thanks, who are the folks way down the depth chart for you? Those acquaintances who when they invite you over for dinner, if you're honest, your stomach kind of sinks because you don't really enjoy hanging out with them, but you also feel bad declining because you're pretty sure they don't have many other friends, social outcasts, socially awkward, you know, the kinds of people Jesus liked to hang out with? Will you invite them to Easter instead? I had sort of this vision this week as I was praying, preparing, of all the nice West County folks that we invited to Easter politely declining. And so as a church, we all just decided to get in our cars, drive out to North St. Louis, East St. Louis, the homeless shelter downtown, and we just started offering rides to anyone who would come for the free coffee and the pastries between services. And we packed out all three services with pimps and hookers and, and drug dealers, and it was awesome. It was the greatest Easter ever. I had never been so excited to preach the gospel to a crowd before. I think Jesus told a parable to that effect, something about a party full of B-list guests. Matthew 22. Number three, we look to accompany the Spirit's work. Accompany what God's Spirit is already doing in a person's heart. Verse 30, Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, I'm sorry, could you please put down that scroll for a minute so I can tell you about Jesus? No, that's not what he asked. Asked, do you understand what you're reading? Philip met the man right where he was at. Hey, what are you reading? Let's talk about that. Philip listened not only to the spirit, he also listened to the eunuch as well. As he's reading out loud, church, are we listening to the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel? Are we meeting them right where they're at like Philip did, like Jesus did? You remember how Jesus started his conversation with the woman, at, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said, give me a drink. That makes sense. It's a hot day. They're at a well. And yet he ended up offering her a taste of his living water that wells up to eternal life. But again, he started with, hey, can I have a drink? Met her right where she was at. 
She's thinking about water. Let's talk about water. Stuart didn't open with, hey, Will, it sounds to me like you've claimed to be a Christian all your life, but you've never truly surrendered to Christ's lordship. Let me tell you about Jesus. You need to hear about Jesus. Sit here and listen. No, he listened to me, to what God was already doing in my heart for a year and a half, how God had stirred my heart, broken my heart for the souls of the students around me that I've been trying to minister to in my own flesh, a place in many ways it was of great spiritual darkness, but what began as a conversation about how to reach these students with the gospel culminated in me realizing that I'd never truly been changed by the power of the gospel. I was still trapped in spiritual darkness. How can we accommodate and accompany the work that the Holy Spirit is already doing in the lives of of the people around you? Are they reading through Oprah's book club list of the month? Ask if you can read East of Eden with them and have a book discussion. Are they really into music? Try listening to their favorite artists and ask them, hey, what about these lyrics speak to you? I've been told that the Journey Church here in town started with a handful of guys watching UFC together in Darren Patrick's basement every week. Now, I don't know if that was the spirit leading them to watch other men beat the snot out of each other, but God clearly used it as an open door for evangelism. We've got to be looking for those open doors. Anywhere. Open windows. I'll take a window. Number four, ask good questions. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? That's a good question. That's what we call in the world of pedagogy a dynamic question. It's engaging. It invites the responder to personally engage with the subject matter. There's nothing worse than bad questions, especially in the church, especially in Bible study. You know, they say there's no such thing as a bad question. That may be true for students, but not for teachers. There's nothing worse than a, than a bad question. We've all been a part of Bible study, Sunday school classes, haven't we? Where a dozen or so, you know, mature, adult, lifelong Christians sit around and answer bad questions from a teacher. Who's talking here? Philip, good, and who's he talking to? The eunuch, right, and, and what does he ask him? Do you understand what you're reading? And if we weren't all such nice Christians, we'd say, sorry teacher, excuse me, but um, unlike the eunuch, I do actually, we do actually understand what we're reading here, at least enough to answer these really superfluous surface level questions. Can we maybe get to some good questions? Like that invite a little thought, a little discussion, a little self-examination. I think the, the question that Stuart asked me that day by the lake was, what do you want your students to know more than anything else? Now that's a great question. My heart's, I'm, I had so deceived myself in my sin, I didn't even think I needed the gospel. They need it. They're the sinners. They need, they need ministry. Okay, let's talk about the students for a minute. What do they need more than anything else? And then he perfectly teed himself up for a gospel conversation. Here's a few others you might try this week. What do you believe? What do you believe? Tell me what you believe about life, existence, the world. What do you want most out of life? Who would you say you are? Not just what you do. Everybody asks, what do you do for a living? Who are you deep down? Or how about this simple one? How are you? How are you? But really, how are you? And then stop and listen. You might be the only person who stops long enough to listen. 
Those are good questions. And there's thousands more like them just waiting to be asked if we'll just take the time and the interest in the lives of those around us to ask and listen. I don't know about you. I've found that most people love to talk about themselves. Take advantage. Give them an opportunity. Ask them a good question. And then just pray and wait and see how God might use that to open a door to share the gospel. Number five, we need to be approachable. We need to be approachable. I'm guessing... That Philip's tone here wasn't, do you even understand what you're reading, Gentile? No, Philip's tone must have been inviting because verse 31 says the eunuch invited Philip up into the chariot. How many of us, if we were the ones in that situation, our tone would have been invited up? Christians, it's not enough to just boldly approach others, we need to be approachable. We need to be someone who unbelievers want to approach with their questions. I know plenty of Christians who are bold, maybe a little too bold, a little too strong, come on a little too strong in approaching others, but they're not very approachable. They turn people off. I know more Christians, far more, who'd like to think that I'm approachable, mainly because You've made sure never to offend anybody by ever doing anything like bringing up Jesus in conversation. So in reality, you're not approachable at all because why would an unbeliever approach you if they have a question about faith if they don't even think of you as a person of faith? It's never even come up. The sweet spot is to be someone who is faithful to approach people as we've been called to, yet does so in a way that we remain approachable by them. When in their own timing, in God's timing, they are ready to follow up with us about conversations of faith. See, Stuart wasn't the first person to share the gospel with me in my time of straying and rebelling from the faith. He was the most approachable. He was knowledgeable enough about the faith that he could actually answer my questions. We've got to be ready to do that, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you. If you can't answer people's questions or at least point them to answers, then why would they come to you? Why would they approach you? And yet, do it with gentleness and respect. We've got to do it in a way that, that's, that makes it clear that we are approachable by them. Stuart didn't judge me for asking. He seemed to genuinely care about it. He didn't judge me for my hypocrisy. He saw, he saw through me. He saw, like, this is a guy, he needs the gospel. But he took an interest in me. He invited me into conversation. It was approachable. Number six, you need to look to find gospel application. Gospel application or gospel associations. Application here means usable for a particular purpose, relevant. We need to ask ourselves, how is the gospel relevant to whatever this current topic of conversation that we're discussing may be? Because brothers and sisters, again, people have got to hear the gospel. The gospel is the only power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1. People can't be saved unless they believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus but again, they can't believe if they haven't heard. And we can't take for granted that they've heard. Just because they live in America doesn't mean they, they've heard. Most people are so ingrained. Most people in your life are so ingrained with religion. Religion says, do this, and God will reward you with this. That it's, they have to hear the gospel, the, the opposite of that, the gospel, hundreds of times for it to finally sink in. It's not 
do this so God can reward you with this. It's God rewarded you with this, not because of anything you did, because of everything Jesus did for you. Now, don't you want to do this to serve him in response? But most people, that's just so backwards for them and their religious way of thinking. Well, if I'm just a good enough person, like Jesus is going to let me in. That it's got to be undone. We, so we not need to find every way possible. We've got to get creative in finding ways to bring every conversation back to the gospel. Now, for Philip, it was easy. Right, I mean, the, the eunuch is in the middle of reading Isaiah 53. This is the most gospel-rich passage in the Old Testament, for sure. One of them in the whole Bible. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now listen, if you're a Christian... You can be the worst evangelist on the planet. I don't care, but you can share the gospel from Isaiah 53. Just take him to Isaiah 53. All of humankind, we were all like sheep. We've gone astray. I mean, you literally you just re read the passage and you're sharing the gospel. It preaches itself. We're the sheep. We're straying. We're sinning. And yet he, the he who was pierced, who was crushed, the one upon whom all our iniquities were laid was Jesus and by his sacrificial wounds on the cross, in our place, we have now been healed. Jesus took the chastisement, the punishment that was due us, owed us because of our sins so that he might instead bring us peace, reconciliation, restored relationship with God the Father. Friends, that's the gospel. Now repent and believe. Read him Isaiah 53. Repent and believe. Philip got off easy. I mean, if you can't share the gospel from, from Isaiah 53, you're not a Christian. But what if the eunuch had been reading the next chapter? I mean, obviously that was God's providence to have him reading Isaiah 53 that day. But what if Philip had been a little slower, taking a little longer to catch up, and he's on to Isaiah 53, and he reads out loud, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Now, could you preach the gospel from Isaiah 54? Philip would have. I believe verse 35 here would be unchanged. Beginning with that scripture, he would have still told him the good news about Jesus. How about us? Can we do that? You better know your Bible if you're going to. You better know your Bible front and back. This is the importance of internalizing, of meditating on God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. Jesus said all the scriptures point us to him. Some of y'all compliment me especially new people to the church, they'll say, you know, I just, I love how you uh, bring every message back to the gospel. You bring every, every text back to Jesus. I'm thinking, what was your last pastor doing? Misinterpreting every passage of scripture? I mean, Jesus said it all points to him. This is the easiest standardized test in the world. If you're not sure, just mark C, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. All the scriptures point to me, John 5, 39. My D group just got done reading the book of Joshua. Could you share the gospel from the, the, the book of Joshua? 24 chapters of, hey, Israel, I want you to go murder every living soul in Canaan and take the land back, and Israel doing it. Can you preach Jesus from that? I can't wait to preach Joshua. What if the eunuch hadn't been reading scripture at all? What if he'd been on his Fox News app 
checking in on the latest reports coming out of Ukraine. Could you find gospel application there? What if he was flipping through Us Weekly magazine? Can you believe what Will Smith did to Chris Rock? Can you take that news and turn it into the good news? The gospel is too important for us not to be able to, Christian. I don't know if you know that game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, where someone names an actor, and then you have to be able to connect them through their mutual filmography somehow back to Kevin Bacon. George Clooney was in Ocean's Eleven with Matt Damon. Matt Damon was in The Departed with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was in A Few Good Men with Kevin Bacon. It's Three Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Church, we've got to be able to do that with the gospel. Evangelism is basically a game of one degree to the gospel. I was chatting with my dental hygienist lately, and I was praying for an opportunity to bring up Jesus, but she beat me to it. She said, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, I'm so jealous. It's like, you have such an easy end to share the gospel with people. You're right, I do. So I asked her if she gets to witness to her patients very often. She says, I always try to. I always try to find a way to bring it back to God somehow. It's a beautiful day out there. Isn't God good? You have excellent teeth. God is so good. (laughs) Do you floss regularly? You know, Jesus is kind of like floss for your soul. (laughs) Stuart used a nearby staircase as a visual when he shared the gospel with me that day. You might want to memorize the Romans Road, the bridge analogy, the three circles, the four spiritual laws. There are dozens of great practical tools. May it not be said of us, church, in the 21st century, the information age that I just don't feel prepared to evangelize, to share the gospel. We don't have excuses. There are great practical tools out there for aiding in evangelism, equipping. At a minimum, every Christian ought to be able to be confident and comfortable in sharing your testimony with people. That's one of the best ways you can evangelize. Who can argue with it? What are they going to tell you? No, God didn't do that in your heart? Just tell them what God's done for you. Here's another one. Again, we should all be ready for it. It's such a common question. Can you trace your answer to the question, what do you do for a living, directly back somehow to God and and steer that conversation back to God? If you can't, then you need to find a different career. But I will tell you, unless you're one of those aforementioned prostitutes or, or drug dealers, you ought to be able to relate it somehow. Almost any work can be kingdom work. If nothing else, when you get asked, you can always reply, you know, I serve God as an engineer. I serve God as a stay-at-home mom. I serve God as a nurse. But one way or another, we've got to find gospel applications to bring it back to the gospel. Number seven, we call them to action. Once again, God makes it so easy for Philip here. The eunuch basically calls himself to action. He says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized commands the chariot to stop. Some later manuscripts add verse 37. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And so he replied. But apparently Philip seems so passive here for later editors that they just added a verse in. But in every manuscript, he at least calls him to respond and invites that baptism that the eunuch mentions. They both go down into the water this is immersion, by the way, for you Pado baptists Philip calls him to respond tangibly to the message 
of the gospel and baptism. Stuart called me to respond. I'm going to call you to respond because it's not enough to just share the gospel if we haven't yet invited people, called on them to respond. Do you want to give your life to Jesus today? Then you're not done yet as an evangelist. We have to call people to action. So, again, I invite you, I call you to action this morning. If you have not yet repented of your sins this morning and trusted in Jesus for your salvation, do that today. Don't wait another minute. Why would you? You can have freedom. You can have eternal life, newness of life in Christ this morning can be yours. Lastly, number eight, remember your assignment. Got to remember our assignment. Specifically, we need to remember two things, both what our assignment isn't and what it is. Our assignment is not to be that person, whoever we're witnessing to, to be their personal Messiah. It's not our job. I wonder if that's why the Spirit just transported Philip right out of there in the blink of an eye. Philip's sucked out to Azotus. He wakes up, where am I? Same verb used in 1 Thessalonians 4, by the way, for the rapture. Just caught up in the air. That's what it's going to be. But I wonder if it wasn't for both Philip's sake as well as the eunuch. You know there's a lot of codependency in the church these days. I don't know about you, I've heard a lot of people say things like, you know, I'm done with church. My pastor had an affair, and it just really shook my faith. Sounds to me like you have faith in the wrong guy. No, God saves the eunuch from that. He says, nuh-uh, Philip's not your savior. He's gone. I'm your savior. I had such a hard time leaving Culver. I was there. I, I, I left kicking and screaming. I loved that place. I felt like I was leaving my students high and dry. There were only eight adult evangelical professing believers on a campus of 800 students. I thought, they need me. Until one of my best friends, one of the other eight, and our life group reminded me, they don't need you, they need Jesus. I hate to break it to you, you're, you're dispensable, disposable, replaceable. We love you, we're gonna miss you, but Jesus ain't going anywhere. Church, it's not our job to save people, that's God's job. So if, that's, if you've been wearing that as your assignment, you can just lay that where it belongs at the foot of the cross this morning. Remember your assignment your job. What is your job? Our assignment is simply to be faithful to share the gospel. Like Philip. Verse 40. Philip came to, found himself. Where am I? He has to walk around, ask some people, you're in Azotus. Azotus? Where is that? Never heard of it. Oh well, guess I'll just keep preaching the gospel. And he just passed on through preaching the gospel to all the towns until he found somewhere he knew. Caesarea. Just keep planting those seeds and trust God with the growth. J.D. Greer said, every effective evangelist has to remember two things. Salvation is God's work, but can't be saved unless they believed, and they can't believe unless they've heard, and they can't hear unless someone's preaching. Leave the salvation up to him. You and I need to keep sowing. Remember your assignment. 